0: We can always do better. I'm going to keep trying if you guys keep trying. Let's keep rocking and rolling, man. Huh? brought bought a
1: coconut, he bought it for the time. My sister another one, she paid it for the lime. She put the lime in the coconut, she drank and pulled up. She put the lime in the coconut, she drank and pulled up. She put the lime in the coconut, she drank and pulled up. She put the lime in the coconut, she called the doctor, woke him up and said, doctor. Ain't there nothing I can take? I said, doctor, do we leave this bellyache? I said, doctor, ain't there nothing I can take? I said, doctor, do we leave this belly bellyache? Now let me get this big.
0: Residents, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, dog doghouse in that
1: area. Checkpoints go up to 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. A a the, what you say, the
2: It's the show that they've been talking about It's been winning all the awards Winning so many awards, we're sick of winning, right? I'm John Reed, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn And this is Race to the Bottom, baby! Hey! Who loves ya? Who said that? Who was the who loves ya guy? It's Lincoln, right? Back for another edition Still uh, recording this from the bedroom. Obviously, it's been a uh, it's been a tough tough week for, for me. I'm um, kind of getting adjusted to this reality. I'm I'm back teaching teaching online, and um, I like teaching. I like teaching a lot, but this teaching online is is uh, pretty crappy. I guess I should be thankful that I have a job, that I can still work, and um, I know a lot of even people who are listening to the show had to file for unemployment. So I am thankful that I can still do my job from home. But um, I think I echo everyone's sentiments when I when I tell you that I wish. Things were back to normal. The new normal. My opening monologue, as always, is sponsored by Winslow Tea, and you can maybe... You hear that? That's that's iced tea right there. Uh, I'm drinking it now. It's good stuff. Try it hot, lukewarm, over ice with a lemon wedge, and hashtag your tea drinking experiences with... Hashtag how you know And steep into the conversation Thank you to Winslow For letting me do this Thank you to the whole Radio Free Brooklyn family For letting us do this Oh and let me get this off the bat Right at the beginning of the show Radio Free Brooklyn Like every institution And every person Is being pushed to the limit By this virus And you know it's somewhat touch and go whether whether we can keep doing this And a really easy way to help out. I know a lot of us are, are strapped financially, but we've been, most of us, using Amazon because you don't want to or can't or are afraid to go out, outside getting things delivered. And uh, I finally did it. It was so easy. You go to amazon.com slash smile and you, uh, you can put in RFB as the nonprofit or charity that you want to donate part of your, your whatever you, you buy on, on Amazon. We get a, a little cut. And uh, it took like 15 seconds. So do that. Help us, help us keep this thing afloat. We're listening to Miles Davis in the background from Birth of Cool. This is uh, the song Moon Dreams. Love this, and uh, we watched the American Masters documentary, "The Birth of Cool," about Miles Davis. And um, let's let's just do it now. I recommend it. It's a recommendation. Davis was such a contradictory strange, talented troubling person and uh, the, this documentary does such a great job of, of trying to condense his insane life into two hours the music and the mayhem Guy was a, a tough tough cookie I'd, I'd never really I've listened to a lot of Miles over the years and I'd never really taken a deep dive into the birth of Cool, but I've been doing that this week. And, you know, Miles Davis was he kind of got to New York and went to Juilliard but then was also going to 52nd Street where Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and the and the Loneus Monk and the whole crew were all playing bop music which was this kind of hyperspeed j- form of jazz where melodies and harmonies were all kind of spliced and mashed up. More on mashups later. And um, created uh, this this new form of, of jazz called bop. Everybody played fast and kind of pushed things to the to the limit. And Miles Davis, you know, he could hang, but when it came time for him to do his thing, he kind of slowed it down and made it made it beautiful and and mournful the way that he he was so adept at doing and the birth of cool is kind of the first window into that i gravitated more to you know kind of blue and and porgy and bess and sketches of spain as far as his cool jazz kind of stuff but um yeah, I recommend the documentary and play some Miles today on the show in the background. How about that mashup? We heard, uh, it was a short but sweet. We heard from Dirk Diggler. I'm going to keep rocking and rolling, doing the best I can do. My broadcasting hero, Tom Sharpling, always talks about that quote, and I thought I'd throw it in there. Got to rewatch Boogie Nights once a year, right? We heard from Harry Nilsson the legend the coconut song and we heard from the fugitive well we didn't hear from the fugitive we heard heard from uh tommy lee jones character your fugitive's name is dr richard kimball he put so much spice on that doctor like he can't believe that uh harrison ford really went to medical school take that spice off my name son in our mashup last week we i played um Larry David and I was disappointed To hear that Larry David Read Woody Allen's Memoir and said that There's no way that Woody Allen could have Done the heinous things that he was Accused of because his memoir was just So good it's very Troubling don't don't make Us cancel you Larry David Come on just just take It easy there pal maybe I'll get Some uh Woody Allen truthers I know a Woody Allen truther You guys know him too who, Which person who's been uh, on, in a part of the Race to the Bottom program in, in this past iteration on Radio Free Brooklyn, who would you guess is a Woody Allen truther? If you can guess it right, I will uh, give you a free t-shirt. But you know, like they say, without God, all is permissible. That quote is attributed all the time to the book that I just finished, And I want a gold medal, please. Brothers Karamazov. I did it. I feel such a sense of accomplishment for pushing through that book. It's good. I didn't like it as much as Crime and Punishment. I read that Dostoevsky used to literally get paid by the word. So there's chapters of Brothers Karamazov where you can tell he's just... He's just punching the clock. I mean, some of these chapters, some of these digressions are pretty unnecessary. But I waded through the whole thing. Yeah, and they, this idea: do you need do you need God for morality? But they don't actually say without God all is permissible in the book. They say that the same thing it takes like a a character like six pages of dialogue. There's not even dialogue. People just go into monologues in that book, like nobody's business. And speaking of monologues, once again, just thank you to Winslow Tea. Been drinking a lot of tea. Trying, you you can you can keep drinking the tea all day. You have a cup of coffee, maybe two, and then you're kind of up against the precipice. But tea, just keep it coming. Keep the Winslow flowing. We're gonna keep the music flowing. Keep the show going. I'm gonna keep rocking and rolling we've got um, we've got some music we've got uh, I did a great uh, talk with my friend Chris who is a chef who I learned a ton from and who works at Lily's Victorian establishment which is closed right now of course, which is in the Broadway theater district and he's an amazing cook please go see him when this whole thing is over but We talk about cooking in quarantine and and the future of the restaurant industry. It was great catching up with Chris. I think you'll enjoy that conversation. And back from the ashes, we got a political checkup. I had to get some stuff off my chest and uh, got a nice long political checkup sponsored by Johnny's Automotive. If you're listening to this online on the on your well everybody's listening online if you're listening to this through your computer consider downloading the the app for your iphone or your android it works really well sign up for the newsletter radiofreebrooklyn.org slash newsletter like i said let's let's get let's get everybody on this amazon smile thing and then when this whole thing is done we gotta rethink amazon we gotta this thing is is horrible Jeff Bezos is horrible. Treat their workers like garbage. We gotta, ch- we gotta change. We gotta make a change. Look in the mirror. Like, uh, who said that? Lincoln. Let's play some music, a round of sound. Who do we got in this puppy? We've got, um, some songs that have been going through my head. First up, Fleet Foxes. Off their first album, With Your Protector. Such a great song. Then, I talked about them a lot about, what... Last summer it was, but I had this song back in my head. Black Dog on the Beach by Bill Callahan. And uh, Little Beatles. You've heard the Beatles, right? From Revolver. We'll hear Here, There, and Everywhere. And then we'll hear from Chris, and then the political checkup, and then I'll catch you on the flip side. And this is um, sponsored. This round of sound. Sponsored by Vafangul. In Astoria, they're still doing a carry out and, and delivery. So um, get some Espinaki and prosciutto al parma or whatever the heck Randall talks about in this ad. And uh, support Bafangul. All right, let's listen to some music.
0: To roam, your protectors coming home. Keep your secrets with you, girl, safe from the outside. You walk along the stream, your head caught in a waking dream. Your protectors come. Come!
3: Black dog followed me. We chased the seagulls in the sky and the shadows on the sand. Lift dad. Man, I guess I can describe it best as the year the lion left the family crest and we made a crown out of the space that was left.
4: This is Randall, and I'm here to tell you about the restaurant that my cousin opened up in Astoria, New York City. It's called Pafangul, and I think you'll love it. Come for the antipasti, with menu items such as tartare di carne, prosciutto con peri, and carpaccio di manzo. They also have bruschetti and insolati. Still hungry for more? Try the arancini, or the burrata. Wow, I think it might be time for some pasta. How about some ravioli di ricotto e spinaci? Wow, still hungry? How about salmone scattato con fagiolini? Or violetto alla minolinese? Want some pizza? Sorry, can't get that here. But it is time for dessert. How about some tiramisu? Or some gelato? You know you've had plenty of great wine. But how about a digestivo? Like Amaretto Luxardo, Fernet Branca, or Amaro Montenegro? Cap it all off with it. An espresso, a macchiato, or a cappuccino, and you are ready to go. Can't you picture it? You're halfway there. Come to Bathangul. It's my cousin's restaurant.
2: Cool. How you doing, man?
5: Um, I'm doing well. You know, um, it was rough in the beginning when i had caught it or what i think i had caught, what haven't been tested at all but it was six nights of a 102 103 fever so and no other symptoms just the horrible fever and it was really like not having the strength to get out of bed you know like to go pee so you know i'm thinking that must have been along the lines oh wow i've never had anything like that i was drinking maybe 12 to 13 quarts of water a day plus two gatorades and still feeling like garbage and i was taking motrin by the handful acetaminophen by the handful because you know then the the ibuprofen thing came out like you took ibuprofen and you had cobalt you were gonna die the next day so (laughs) you know tried to play by the rules there and then after six ruling days he you know my boyfriend was begging begging me to go to you know the clinic or whatever and I was like I am not going anywhere near and uh I was like I'm just not doing it because then you could get more sick you know day seven wake up spring out of bed let's go party
2: nice okay so
5: that was weird but we're grateful that no more sickness and Alex has shown no symptoms at all which oh is wild yeah you know, it's been a long time.
2: How how long ago was that seventh day when you?
5: Um, I was. I'm gonna say that's at least going on a week and a half, two weeks ago. So oh, okay. I got it pretty much right off the bat. We were probably quarantined a week and then or less, and then I I had got it or what I think I had. I had yeah,
2: got it. it sounds like that was it. No long lung stuff.
5: So, um, a little bit of shortness of breath, but that was like once I was already better, once the fever was gone. I don't think it was related. You know? Okay. But, you know, now I'm back to whiskey and cigar diet and, you know, it's good.
2: Good. So So I wanted to talk to you, Chris Mata, about cooking in quarantine and, and about cooking for ourselves and our loved ones. I mean, you're you are a chef, but you're not you know, you're not working right now. Right. We work together back in the day and I learned a a ton from you in the kitchen.
5: When I was jotting down notes, you know, starting this thing about what I was going to talk about, the first thing that came to mind was cooking at home versus, you know, cooking at the restaurant and how different those things really are because if you're somebody like yourself, you know, who's worked in a kitchen on the line, you know that everything lies in your prep, you know, Mm -hmm. so you have all this food pre-prepped and, you know, in these eighth pans and you know six pans and half pans quarter pans and everything and then you know you're just you're replenishing what you're using as you go and obviously when you cook at home you know you, you don't just have eons of food ready to rock and you know ready to use
2: yeah so cooking at home i've still been doing some stuff that i learned as far as prep like i've been making stock which has been good and i've been um i've been making Stock and then and then freezing it in ice cubes. I've got like the big uh, fat ice cube, those, like the whiskey cube, yeah, whiskey cubes, yeah, and, sure. And and having that like that much stock to throw in some collard greens or something.
5: It can make perfect. a big difference. One of the newest things, and I can't believe I'm going to say this on a recorded thing that will be played, um, is my newest cheat. Because like I, I was never really trained as a home cook, besides by a, my Puerto Rican grandmother, mm-hmm. um, and that was all Italian, Sicilian recipes, and Puerto Rican recipes. So yeah, you know that's you know that's that's that home cooking. But like I was never taught by you know, a Caucasian woman mother, how to, you know, be like, okay, this is how we're gonna, you know, make a green bean casserole. Mm-hmm. So just recently, you know, talking with friends and, you know, sharing meal ideas and whatnot, I saw that one of my friends was using uh, Campbell's cream of mushroom, mm-hmm. right? And now this is an incredible tool to all of the amateur level cooks or even like anyone really if you saute vegetables of any kind and then you add a little bit of wine perhaps a little bit of stock and a can of cream of whatever Mm -hmm. it's a game changer
2: you know it's so funny that you talk you talk about like the the white lady uh teaching you this kind of stuff that i have recipes from my from my grandma and
5: it's all everything is like that <laughs> calls from for some can like yeah, of exactly. of campbells to emulate that you'd have to make a stock you'd have to fortify the stock you'd have to reduce strain the stock six times
2: mm-hmm. and then
5: you'd have to you know make a pan sauce with it yeah you know yeah. and that would have to be separate to whatever you were introducing you know to that
2: what are some of the the i've I had a rough weekend this this past weekend. This was my first weekend where I was like it kind of dawned on me that like a probably won't have a summer vacation or like do anything fun this summer. That hit me really hard and just the reality of the whole thing and I pulled myself out of it yesterday by just I was just like I'm gonna cook.
5: I find myself wanting to make a elaborate meal every night. Mm -hmm. You you don't want to do that. It kind of takes the fun out of it.
2: What have you been most excited about that you've cooked in quarantine?
5: We started off on a very high note. We had some filet mignons that my boyfriend's grandmother had sent us from a company called Allen Brothers.
6: Okay. Um,
5: Allen Brothers Meats, for all the listeners mm-hmm. out there right now, you're looking for a good something to send somebody for their birthday. Great option, so much better than Omaha, because everybody thinks about you mm-hmm. know, Omaha steak, this like night and day. Anyway, so we had these filet mignons, and I did like steak and eggs, and I made grapefruit mimosas, and like with the Natalie's grapefruit juice, and uh, it was just incredible. And I did cook down spinach with caramelized onions, mushrooms, tomatoes, and made this kind of like mixture that was used for the filling of the omelet. We went all out and yeah. did the fancy filet mignon omelets. It was great, steak and eggs. One of the first things we did was we used like a boneless pork rib and I had done it in like a sofrito. For everybody who's listening doesn't know mm-hmm. what a sofrito is, that's a Latin marinade of sorts that you make. It's like a paste with garlic. Mine is high levels of garlic, like 20 to 30 cloves of garlic, A few few red bell peppers, a few green bell peppers, an onion or two, uh, and then lots and lots and lots of cilantro, a drop of white vinegar, and that's your sofrito, and you can Mm -hmm. use it to marinate meat, you can use it to marinate rice, you can, you know, vegetables, whatever. You go anywhere in the Bronx and you open up a refrigerator, there'll be Mm -hmm. small containers of pre-used things that are cleaned out, and inside of there, you'll find sofrito. We did homemade pizza here for the first time, which was cool. Mm -hmm. actually, that was the night that I started not feeling great. (laughs) And I thought it was because of the heat of the oven. It's like, oh, I'm so hot because the oven's been on. Not the case. But you can make, I mean, anybody who is not a, even an amateur level cook, if you have a stand mixer, you know, or any type of mixer, Mm -hmm. a package of yeast, some hot water, you mix the, you know, the hot water with the yeast. You have to make sure it's not too hot, not too cold. Olive oil, flour, water. Mm -hmm that's it watch it rise bang it down you know and then just sauce cold sauce it's incredible so we did prosciutto mozzarella we had so many different pizzas there's pictures of all of that on boy wonder nine twelve nine on instagram okay but that i mean that's another good quarantine story eventually we went and did our first grocery run and um they have everyone outside Trader Joe's six feet apart. And when we say, oh my God, there's a line, within less than 10 minutes, we were inside. And it was the single best shopping experience I have ever had at Trader (laughs) Joe's in my entire life because they, like, six people have to leave before they leave one more person at. To me, Trader Joe's, We should be doing this all the time.
2: (laughs) So what are your feelings about the near future for for restaurants and and just how this is going to...
5: I was feeling optimistic um, maybe a week ago that things were going to... We were going to roll back maybe, you know, into the swing of things, restaurants opening, you know, quarantine kind of fizzling out within the next month. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I read about how the theater Broadway theaters have been extended uh, to June 7th and then I heard that there was a statement made that um, you know de Blasio and Cuomo don't feel like this is going to be we're going to be out of this until September Mm -hmm. you know I can tell you one thing if restaurants can't open until after September they're not going to reopen well a lot of them won't at least yeah Danny Meyer's store as well, Tom Colicchio's store as well, but not all of them. I don't see the restaurant industry even once it does come back. And even if it does come back before September, which I sincerely do hope happens, because I don't know how we'll be able to have a summer in New York. And that's something that you were thinking about. It's like, you know, us as New Yorkers, regardless of your profession, summer is like the greatest gift you get. Yeah, you know, it's the greatest gift of living in New York City is the summertime because, you know, seasonal depression or whatever <laughs> it is, you yeah. know, it's like you get that vitamin D, you can go out, you know, you don't have to go to a bar, you don't have to go to a restaurant, you can just walk around outside mm-hmm. you know, and that's not going to happen, you know, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah. I very much doubt they'll want people on the beach. You know, mm-hmm. I very much doubt they'll want people in the park. You know, it'll happen. It's already happening. But uh, mm-hmm. if you know, if you're a smaller restaurant, I don't think that there's any way. And you know, that's like rent aside. I you know, I was reading a or watching a video. I think it was the New York Times did a piece, and the guy who owns uh, Bar Bacon, that chain, mm-hmm. was saying that right now, if tomorrow they let us reopen all the restaurants, it would cost him $400,000 per store. To reopen? To, to reopen. And that's why, you know, unless you're you're a huge conglomerate, a chain, you know, and I think you'll even see some of the fast food chains go down as well. I don't think that, you know, like, I don't think Quiznos is going to make it. You know? <laughs> and, you know, I think Mickey I- D's will be alright, but I, I don't know if Quiznos is going to quite cut it anymore. <laughs>
2: I think you just uh, came up with the title for this week's show.
5: Oh yeah. I don't, I don't think <laughs> I don't
2: think Quiznos is going to make it.
5: <laughs> well, there we go. Well, Chris, hang hang in there. Thanks, John, you know. Can't wait till we can get together.
2: I know. All right, Johnny. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you. Okay.
5: Take care. Bye. Take Bye. care.
2: People say the best place in Western North Carolina Get a muffler, a transmission, a timing belt, or suspension replaced is Johnny's Why? Because at Johnny's Automotive, they do the job right and check it That's Johnny's way Come down to Johnny's on the corner of Crisco Road and Popular Creek And get your vehicle fixed right the first time you ready
7: for some holiday.
2: Yes, thank you as always to Johnny's, Johnny's Automotive, on the corner of Crisco Road and Popular Creek. They get the job done right the first time by checking it, fixing it, and then checking it again. And it's time for a political checkup. Took a couple weeks off, but I'm back, baby. And it's time for What in the Crap? What in
6: the Crap?
7: What in the Crap?
2: I was texting with my mom about the shock doctrine as you do in life and um, thinking a lot about it in these times of corona. Basically the shock doctrine is is uh, was this idea in this book uh, by Naomi Klein who explained how we are basically duped and controlled by the people way up at the top of the game trying to accumulate their power. And they use these crises, crises, crispics. They use these moments, these horrible moments, whether they're self-imposed or acts of God to grab more power, enact their economic ideals and to strip people of their basic rights. It happened in Chile and Argentina under the guidance of of these uh great guys from the chicago school and it happened after katrina where they basically seized the day to decimate the public school system and and make everything into a charter school and it's happening now we we hear about it and we see we see it happening with the with the post office a great public service that is uh, going bankrupt because it is basically being held to a standard that no other company would be held to, where they need to, like, account for their pension payments for the next 50 years. So they set this this bar that, that nobody can reach. And this disaster capitalism is, is being used to, hopefully, for these people, push push this dream of finally, finally privatizing the post office. And the big what-in-the-crap about this is that it's happening right at the moment when we're realizing that because of COVID, we're going to need to be mailing in our ballots. And and have, and if, if you don't have a functioning post office, how are people going to mail in their ballots, right? You can't have a free and fair election if people can't vote because the post office is closed. It all works together, these monsters. And they're also... Uh, saw Snowden talking about you know Snowden from catch22 no Edward Snowden talking about how governments are using this uh, this virus to up their spying and monitoring capabilities to levels that we've never seen I that that whole to t- X that we've never seen has been destroyed by Amlet bar whenever anybody says, It's unlike anything we've ever seen. I just hear his dumb voice saying it. But uh, what are you going to do? How are you going to beat the shock doctrine? How are you going to beat disaster capitalism? you going to take it to the streets? Can't do that now. you going to vote? Are you going to vote? Are you going to sit this one out for more on this? It's time for Who Do You Want to Win? Who's going to win? Who do you want to win? And who's going to win? Guys, how excited are we about Biden? This guy is exciting, right? Joe. Joe exclamation point. It's like Jeb. He should take that from Jeb. Just said an exciting candidate. I just watched Obama's endorsement. Came out uh, this week, and I was struck by by this little part of this. Let Let me let me play this.
8: You know, I could not be prouder of the incredible progress that we made together during my presidency. But if I were running today, I wouldn't run the same race or have the same platform as I did in 2008. The world is different. There's too much unfinished business for us to just look backwards. We have to look to the future. Bernie understands that, and Joe understands that. It's one of the reasons that Joe already has what is the most progressive platform of any major party nominee in history.
2: So his Obama's campaign wouldn't be the same as it was back then. You got to change with the times. Seems like a shot. He said Bernie gets it, and I almost felt like he wasn't going to say... Joe gets it, but then he says Joe gets it. Does Joe get it? Who knows? I read a couple interesting articles about Obama and and Joe and and, uh, what we have to look forward to. Uh, One of them was in Politico and it was entitled Barack Obama wins the Democratic primaries by Ryan Lizza. The like tagline or what do you call that? Subheading? The lead? What is this? The thing under the title. In a, I, should, I need to go back to journalism school. It says, released from his self-imposed neutrality, the former president will soon make the case for Biden that Biden had has had trouble making himself. Yes, he has had trouble making this argument. Can't get through the sentence. This article a Democratic strategist added, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this was Carville. Uh, well, I'll read this quote. and We should try to do anonymity for Carville. The truth is, he'd rather be on David Geffen's yacht than dealing with internal Democratic Party BS. That's Carville, right? Yeah, but we, we've just felt... Like Obama left us high and dry, right? That's uh, the article goes on to say that's a little unfair, but it plays into a popular stereotype of Obama during the Obama bar era as too detached from the political fray. Yeah, he's doing him. He's doing him. He's not getting. He's he's uh doing that ex president neutrality thing. Classic. Ryan Lizza goes on to say the other area where the Obama world believes perhaps naively. That the former president will have a role is helping Biden with younger voters. Do younger voters still know who Obama was? Just as Biden once helped Obama win over older voters who worried he was too young and too inexperienced, yes, or too black, Obama will now try to help Biden win over younger, more liberal voters who think Biden is too old and too experienced or too senile. I, I just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what are we going to do, right? There's another article by Alex Parney in the New Republic. Democrats decide, again, not to try anything new. That, that title nails it. The nomination of Biden will ensure that, for the foreseeable future, the party will be run by people who haven't had a new idea since 1992. What a damning first sentence. He goes on to talk about Congress and Pelosi and Schumer and and the kind of reality of the situation. He says, What makes Pelosi and Schumer's grip on power so secure is, in fact, their parochialism. They don't offer up a grand vision for the future. Their jobs, at least as they understand them, are to protect members of their caucuses, especially those in the most vulnerable seats. Yeah, this is like what they were talking about, down-ballot woes with... Somebody like Bernie at the head of the ticket, right? You gotta keep these blue dogs in in their seats. Sit down, blue dogs. Chair is yours. Protecting them does not mean making sure they are associated with a popular and ambitious political project, no. No Green New Deal, nothing like that. It mainly means keeping them well-funded, secure from primary challengers, and safe from potentially dangerous votes. Yes, status quo. The Democratic nominee for the president was supposed to step into this void of creative thinking, but he or she was also supposed to have some claim to being an agent of change. So much for that. So much for that. Let me go on to... It's, it's so crazy how had like 18 people and it was Biden. After all, after all this... He goes on to say the first act in the predictable Biden is reaching out to the left performance was a policy proposal intentionally hamstrung by the longstanding new democratic insistence that government aid should never be doled out to anyone a hypothetical independent voter might consider undeserving. Yeah, you can't can't let anybody get these programs that, you know, got to guard it, guard against waste, fraud and abuse. In his proposal, Biden suggested dropping Medicare eligibility from 65 to 60. Bold. Which is sound enough policy coming from someone whose top priority is to shore up the existing order rather than extend services to those who need it most. He told his donors, Nothing's going to fundamentally change, guys. You're safe. You know, this is tough. Because, God, I want an omelet bar out of there so bad. It would be a travesty of a second term. And these... uh I i i already know it's its not a hypothetical, these people who are burning your bust. I, I know some who say they're going to sit it out. And that just seems privileged and ill-informed. But uh, by the same token, you know, you don't want to run down our candidate. But it, it's just... It's pretty egregious how lame this whole thing is. Which is put well by Alex Parney in this final paragraph. It is hard to convey how ill-suited to this moment Joe Biden is. Oof. Nearly everyone he beat out for the nomination would have handled it better. Yeah, even Mayor Pete? I'd feel more comfortable. You'll see Biden in these from his Delaware bunker. He looks like it's a hostage video. Even his fellow moderates had the benefit of seeming nimble enough to adapt to rapidly changing circumstances. The establishment progressives, like Harris or Booker, may not have been revolutionaries. Indeed, they appeared to be running to hold back or placate the would-be revolutionaries. But they at least seemed to understand that the Democrats' agenda and political playbook should not stay frozen in a time where we are once again ready for some change hopey changey stuff but you know uh obama ended his endorsement with some pretty strong rhetoric taking omelet bar to the mat which
8: sounded a little something like this the other side has a massive war chest the other side has a propaganda network with little regard for the truth on the other hand Pandemics have a way of cutting through a lot of noise and spin to remind us of what is real and what is important. This crisis has reminded us that government matters. It's reminded us that good government matters, that facts and science matter, that the rule of law matters, that having leaders who are informed and honest and seek to bring people together rather than drive them apart. Those kind of leaders matter.
2: That's some good rhetoric. Makes me feel a little something like this. I was wrong, and I
3: apologize.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, we got them.
9: Hey John, it's Doctor Dad. We're stuck here, uh, just like you. Pretty not as bad, but it's it's a rough situation. And it's amazing because back in 1970, when I started my residency program, uh, they were talking about the morale curve. And actually, Walter Menninger, the Guy, one of the meninger people did research on this, what he called the morale curve. And then this idea was used by the Peace Corps so that when people would start out, they'd have great enthusiasm and optimism. And then after a month or two, they would just go crashing down into kind of a despair and hopelessness. Some of them would want to quit. and They very discouraged. So they began to teach the Peace Corps people to get ready for it and to understand what it is. And so what what happens is that, you know, you look around after a while and you get tired and discouraged and it's not the way you thought it was going to be. And, and you just get more and more down in the dumps. And this, I think, is happening uh, as we are all stuck at home with this never ending crisis uh, all around us. And I think that part of it is you, you just have to grieve. You have to say, yes, this, this, that, and the other is not going to happen, but, and then you, you focus on what you, what you have. And one of the, uh, a great book that I really been inspired by is the title is The Choice, written by uh, Dr. Uh, Egger, And she was in the Nazi pandemic where the, you know she's uh, she and her family were uh, taken to the one of the concentration camps both parents died her sister she and her sister barely survived but she came to the states and uh, decided to get in therapy and she then went on got her phd and, and now she's uh, ve- she has been a, a very outstanding psychologist and therapist and this book Basically, in, in this book, she says you've got to choose. You, you can be dragged down by all this negative stuff that's happened, or you can grieve and be sad about it, but then you got to choose to move forward into a positive, in a positive direction and not let it pull you down, and I think that to pull out of this uh, morale kind of uh, slope downwards Uh, You have to accept that, yeah, life, it's really different and a lot of negatives about it. But then you say, but what have I got? And you begin to look at it, look at the positives that are still there and then say, but I'm going to embrace the good stuff that's happening and and, and be happy about what I've got and and so on. So um, I I hope these ideas are helpful. Uh, (laughs) We just have to pull together and support each other and realize there's going to be a slump but that's just part of who we are
2: alright there you have it thank you to Chris for talking about cooking in quarantine and future of the restaurant business here in New York thank you to all of our sponsors thank you to you the listener for keeping this going thanks to Dr. Dad for checking in and we're going to end up with another tune from this Angelo D'Augustine record tome, which is so good. Thank you to Jay for making me aware of this. This uh, this tune's called I Could Be Wrong, which is very true. I could be wrong. Have a good week. Stay safe. And we'll see you next Saturday. Race to the Bottom. Radio Free Brooklyn. Bye.
6: How oh, the light came on my way From a once